everyone, welcome to the 28th episode of our news podcast going from June 6th to the 12th. This podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop, home of the Duels, the tactical handbook for unit leaders, available at amygearco.com and Amazon as well. Check out the Freelancers, a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. Find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Also check out Fortress International, a veteran-owned research and analysis firm based near Washington, D.C. I wrote an article for them recently about Havana Syndrome, the potential use of microwave weapons at the U.S. Embassy in Cuba. Find them on Twitter and Instagram at Fortress underscore INT and their website at fortressllc.org. And lastly, check out the LARP Bazaar, which is a tactical gear and apparel company started by myself and two other Marine veterans. We recently put out some hoodies in the experimental urban T-block camo from the late 90s. If you're interested in that, head over to larpbazaar.com. And with that being said, we will get started. Now we'll get started off with the COVID-19 numbers and news. Week began with 172 million cases, 3.72 million deaths. Week ended with 175 million cases, 3.79 million deaths. There are three countries in the world with over 10 million cases, the U.S. at 33, India at 29, and Brazil at 17. There are 27 countries with over 1 million cases, including those three. There are 13 countries with less than 1,000 cases. There are 96 confirmed cases of reinfection worldwide. 63 of them have recovered so far. Three have passed away, and the rest are active. The last confirmed case was reported on June 11th. There are currently 56,000 suspected cases of reinfection, of which 277 have passed away. As of June 12th, over 2.35 billion doses of any COVID vaccine have been given in about 178 countries across the world. The U.S. was sitting at 43.4% of its population fully vaccinated. Record cases were reported twice in Mongolia and once in Fiji. Record deaths were reported once in Sri Lanka and once in Colombia. On June 6, Bangladesh approved Sinovac's vaccine for emergency use, becoming the second Chinese-made vaccine to get such approval in the nation. Bangladesh is sitting at about 2.5% of its vaccine. Uh, its population fully vaccinated, excuse me. And on the same day, Israel began vaccinating roughly 600,000 children between the ages of 12 to 16. On the 7th, Ali Akbar Moshdashimpu, the founder of Hezbollah, or a founder of Hezbollah, excuse me, died from the virus. And on the same day, UK Health Secretary Matt Hancock stated that most of the people in the hospital with COVID were not vaccinated which makes sense, and that a sample of 126 patients of the Delta variant that was first discovered in India, only three of them were fully vaccinated. On June 9th, an updated, an updating of a backlog of data from the Indian state of Bihar revised the death toll in the state from 5,424 to 9,375 and on June 11th, San Francisco became the first U.S. city to partially vaccinate 80% of its eligible population. Moving on to Europe, in Germany, on June 10th, it was announced that the Special Task Force, German acronym SEK, 
assigned to the city of Frankfurt will be disbanded over an investigation that found 20 current and former SEK officers were involved in, quote, far-right extremist message groups. 17 of the officers are accused of spreading symbols of Nazi organizations and, quote, hate inciting texts. All but one of those officers were on active duty as of the announcement. Certain emails were traced back to computers from the police unit. Some of a threatening nature were sent to a lawyer from an immigrant background. Others were sent to Janine Visler, a left-wing politician for the state of Hesse, where Frankfurt resides. Hesse Interior Minister Peter Booth said the state was launching a, quote, fundamental reboot of the SEK and called for a new leadership culture in the lower levels of the police. This incident is reminiscent of another incident in 2020 where the second company of the German Army's Special Commando First Forces was disbanded for the same reason. In the UK on June 11th, the founder and leader of the Sonnenkrieg Division was found guilty on 15 charges in the Old Bailey Central Criminal Court, 12 of which were terrorism related. Andrew Dymock has stated before that, quote, racial holy war is inevitable, and on a webpage in 2017 wrote that the creation of one of his organizations, the System Resistance Network, was focused on, quote, establishing the fascist state through revolution. The Sonic Creek Division is the British ring of the Adamwaffen Division, a neo-Nazi group founded in the southern U.S. in 2015, Sonic Creek is believed to have roughly several dozen members in the UK. Some of the charges Dymock was found guilty of include four counts of disseminating terrorist publications, one count of stirring up racial hatred, two counts of terrorist fundraising, and five counts of encouraging terrorism. He is due to be sentenced on June 24th. Moving on to China on June 6th, a man in the city of Anqing, attacked people with a knife on a pedestrian street, killing six and wounding 14 others. Little details were given, but police said the 25-year-old suspect was unemployed and motivated by family troubles. Moving on to the Middle East in Syria on June 9th, Russian military police vehicle rolled over an IED in Hasaka. One soldier was killed and three others were wounded. The three soldiers are expected to survive. The Russian aerospace forces responded with airstrikes and Islamist rebel-held areas over the course of the week. Some details on Russian troop deployments have been secretive since the interventions beginning in 2015, but a report released earlier this year confirmed the deaths of at least 112 Russian troops in Syria at the point the report was published. In Yemen, the civil war shows no signs of slowing down. Throughout the week, the Royal Saudi Air Force conducted dozens of airstrikes in multiple provinces on Houthi positions. In Afghanistan, as with last week, assassinations, bombings, and fighting between government forces and the Taliban has continued over the week. On June 6th, a Kandahar appellate court judge, Mohammed Fayaz, was killed by unknown gunmen inside the city. An official with the Gamser district, Kaji Akbar, was killed, and two others were wounded by an IED in Lashkagar city separately. On June 7th, U.S. CENTCOM Commander General McKenzie confirmed that approximately 50% of the U.S. troop withdrawal process has been completed ahead of the September 11th deadline this year. On June 9th, an arm attack on a camp belonging to the Halo Trust charity left 10 people dead and at least 16 others wounded. 
Halo Trust is a British-American charity that has been clearing landmines in Afghanistan since 1998, excuse me, 1988, since before Soviet troops pulled out from the Soviet-Afghan war. The attack happened at a camp in northeastern Buglan province and occurred at roughly 2150 local time for the Americans. That is 950 local time p.m. with men opening fire on a group of about 110 men, all of whom were Afghan citizens. The government initially blamed the Taliban for the attack. However, ISIS-K, which is the Afghan branch of ISIS, has claimed responsibility and witnesses claim the gunmen were searching for men who are ethnically Haraza a minority Shia group that ISIS has declared war against before in the past, and I believe last week they attacked um, a Haraza group as well. Halo's Afghanistan operation employs more than 2,600 locals and is the group's largest operation in the world. On June 11th, Afghan lawmakers urged the Defense Ministry to send reinforcements to some contested provinces in the nation to Afghan MPs asked for troops for the provinces of Takar and Saripul after the centers of two districts in those provinces fell to the Taliban the night prior. An MP from Baghis province asked for more troops as insurgents pushed their lines closer to the center of a district than Baghis. Government officials have confirmed that the centers of at least 17 districts across the country have fallen to the Taliban in less than two months. And if you guys want some more info on that, I have an article up. That's at stayready.me slash blogs slash news. And we'll take a quick break and we will finish it off with the Americas. And we're back to finish it off with the Americas. In El Salvador last week, we talked about the President Nayib Bukele's plans to make Bitcoin legal tender in the nation. Over the course of the week, Congress approved that plan. So El Salvador is now the first sovereign nation in the world to use Bitcoin as legal tender. We'll see if any countries follow suit in the future. In Peru, on June 6th, the country had its second round of presidential elections after the first round was held on April 11th. Right now, no winner has been declared as the Free Peru candidate Pedro Castillo leads popular force candidate Kiku Fujimori in the ballot count by less than half a percent. Castillo has claimed victory, and as of now, it looks like he will take the election, but nothing is certain. Before politics, Castillo was known as a school teacher and a prominent union leader. His Free Peru party is a left-wing party, is considered to be socialist, Marxist-Leninist, and populist. The party in general and Castillo personally have been accused of having ties to left-wing terrorist groups such as the Shining Path, which engaged in a massacre of 14 civilians in a remote jungle village three weeks ago. Kiku Fujimori is the former, or is a former congresswoman and daughter of Alberto Fujimori. Alberto is a former Peruvian president who was impeached and removed from office in 2000 and later convicted of human rights abuses in 2009 and sentenced to 25 years in prison where he still resides. His administration saw many human rights abuses, including the execution of civilians and mass forced sterilization. Skeptics of his daughter, Kiko, fear that an administration led by her could be a repeat of his presidency. Her popular force party is a right-wing party and considered to be populist and socially conservative. 
The election has led to some animosity between the poor inhabitants of the Indian region and the wealthier, more urban classes. Fujimori has alleged fraud by Castillo and his party, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that, and international observers have rejected that notion. Fujimori can also find herself in a bind as prosecutors are claiming that she violated her bail conditions by speaking to witnesses in her case. She's currently accused of receiving more than $17 million in illegal campaign donations and leading a criminal organization. If convicted, she could face 30 years in prison. In Canada, on June 6th, an Ontario man in the city of London drove a truck into a Muslim family, killing four people and wounding another. The man, 20-year-old Nathaniel Veltman, was motivated by anti-Islamic beliefs and given four charges of first-degree murder and one charge of attempted murder. Veltman does not have any previous record, and it's not clear if he had any affiliation to any known hate groups. Family members of the victims requested that their names not be released, but they range in age from 15 to 74 years old. A nine-year-old boy remains in the hospital. Police Detective Inspector Paul Waite said that there is evidence this attack was planned, and there is a possibility Veltman can face terrorism charges as well. In the United States, June 5th, excuse me, June 6th was the 75th anniversary of D-Day, officially known as Operation Overlord, where over 200,000 Allied troops assaulted Nazi forces in the French region of Normandy in what is still today the largest amphibious assault in human history. These actions paved the way for the liberation of France and the eventual collapse of Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany less than a year later. On the 6th, California Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell announced that he had served Alabama Republican Congressman Mo Brooks with a lawsuit accusing him of inciting the January 6th Capitol riot. Swalwell claims that he has been trying to serve Brooks with the lawsuit since March and resorted to hiring a private investigator to locate Representative Brooks. The California representative has served similar lawsuits on former President Donald Trump, his son, Donald Trump Jr., and his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Also on the 6th, West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin said that he would vote against an election bill known as the For the People Act that is being pushed by key leaders in his party. The bill is very broad in scope, but some of the things it would do is include restoring voting rights to felons who have completed their time in prison, removing voter ID requirements in states that have them, and require states to count mail-in ballots that arrive, sorry, mail-in votes that arrive to ballots up to 10 days after an election, among other things. Since this act does not fall under budget reconciliation, it must have at least 60 votes in favor to pass in the Senate because of the filibuster. The House has already passed the bill, and President Biden has signaled support for the bill multiple times. But if Senator Manchin keeps his opposition to the bill, it's unlikely that it will pass and be made law. And lastly for the week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen stated that President Biden's $4 trillion spending plan would be good for the country, even if it does cause a rise in interest rates and inflation. She said, quote, if we ended up with a slightly higher interest rate environment, it would actually be a plus for society's point of view and the Fed's point of view. Biden's plan would add about $400 billion worth of spending each year, and Yellen said that wouldn't be enough to cause heavy inflation. Any spurt in prices due to the spending plan would fade away in 2022, according to Yellen. U.S. consumer prices from April 2020 to April 2021 rose 4.2%. 
And that's all the news I got for you guys this week. I spoke about it last week, but myself and my friend Taylor, we did a podcast. It's completely separate from this one. It's called The Catwalk Boys. We have eight episodes right now. The eighth episode, we talked about this most recent conflict between Israel and the Palestinian territories. And we spent most of the podcast really talking about what the origins of that conflict are. I think most people have a lot of misconceptions as to how long this conflict has been going on and how it started. So if that's something that interests you guys, I encourage you to listen to Catwalk Boys. It's found the exact same places you could find in this podcast, right? Um, if you listen to it, let me know what you think. I'm open to any feedback. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank you guys for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. You could find this on your favorite podcast apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, and Pocket Cast. You could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate, all one word. And that's all I have for you guys. I'll see you around.